Uh, we've got a case today that we want to talk about. It's built off of a question from our good friend Bill Murray, who says uh, some people are frightened by the federal debt. Others say it's nothing to worry about as long as the growth in GDP keeps up with the growth of the debt. How do you measure the impact of the federal debt, and uh, should we be alarmed or frightened? Um, I, you know, honestly, we've we've talked about this some, and I don't. I don't think that it gets enough attention, but, uh, you know, in 2007, um, if you just look at the, the, uh, federal reserve, our central bank, um, they had a, uh, a, uh, balance sheet at about $800 billion and 2007 and eight hit. And in order to get us out of the, the melees that we had found ourselves in, uh, the Fed stepped up and created a balance sheet that was went from $800 billion, It ballooned to $4 trillion. By the end of 2016, we were at $4.4 trillion. So it didn't grow much after that initial bump. And, you know, it was stimulus that got us into that spot until March of this year. And on the 23rd of March, um, the government signed into law the uh, CARES, CARES Act. Act and, and we wound up. Uh, spiking the balance sheet for the Fed by seven trillion more dollars. So at this point, we're—I mean, seven trillion. I said three trillion more. So we're at about seven trillion at this point. Um, yeah. So and and the, uh, you know, it was just a, a lot of money given away to businesses and individuals. I think there's two things to talk about there, and then we should probably start sort of quantifying what this means to the average person sure. and how this is going to affect growth and investment, um, but it's not just the Fed. So right. basically, when the government is borrowing money, sure, uh, bank dealers buy that paper, and then the Fed buys it from the bank dealers. Right. There's no direct transmission from the Treasury to, to the, the Fed. Fed. Right. That's changed a little with recent special purpose vehicles right? Um, where the Fed's adding leverage, but they're mostly independent <laughs> still. Um, so if you're talking about total amount of U.S. government debt, right now we're at uh, roughly 25 trillion. Trillion, yep. Yeah, so U.S. GDP on a normalized basis is about 20 trillion. Right. So we're talking <clears throat> 125 some odd percent right. debt to GDP. Correct. Um, that's fairly high, but if you look relative to the rest of the developed world, uh, it's not as high. We're right there with them. Um, so it, I think in the conversation, it's important to look at the experience of these over, these other over-indebted nations and also think of sort of the currency effects in a relative basis, right? So typically when you're talking about the transmission mechanism of increased uh, leverage from the from the government, that's inflationary. Right. Um, but I think what we've seen sort of over time is that the velocity of money is has been falling. So that money that that's were increase the leverage there we're increasing for the government is actually sort of proving deflationary, especially if you look at the experience of Japan and Western Europe, the Euro. And area. you're seeing you're seeing that here in the states as well yeah yeah and i think not to not to the degree right and i i mean if you look back to if you look back to the 2008 
uh, recession, yeah, and you, sort of how we're dealing with increasing the deficit, which you know, right now is pretty high. It was pretty high back then. These are really the fits and start, or, or like the massive changes that we see in debt. Like the Obama presidency saw U.S. debt double from right. ten trillion to twenty trillion. Again, a and lot that's of that was... sort of backfilling. What sort of happens is we have this highly financialized and leveraged system. Right. And when you get a downturn, basically you have holes in balance sheets. So the U.S. government comes in and they say, corporations, you know, you've you've got in, basically basically insolvency. Banks have insolvency, so they go and backfill the balance sheets in a way that never really circulates in the economy. So right. it never really proves inflationary. And then it seems like we have at least in recent decades, been yeah. rinsing and repeating this cycle. Right. And it seems like the effect is sort of we're pulling future demand forward and it actually proves deflationary. Well, also, I think a lot of what you're you're describing, Jacob, kind of leads to the bigger bifurcation of the, the upper class versus the lower and, and middle classes th that we're dealing with today. Certainly. And and we're seeing we're seeing, you know, that wealth gap grow larger even today. So that to me is deflationary if you sort of look at other things that created a deflationary move because i feel like if we're talking about u.s debt really we're talking about our one are we going to be able to repay it sure so let's quantify that do you Bas have to repay it is the question well well two things first on like a per capita basis in the u.s right now we all owe seventy five thousand dollars of course if you're 80 you're not paying the 75 if you're 30 you're probably paying 150, right? <laughs> you know, um, to so cover that for those that aren't going to yeah, pay it, so that's that are 75. That's extracting from your productive capacity because you have to service that debt. If you sort of amortize that at I don't know a blended rate of three percent, yeah, you're talking a few thousand a year, four or five thousand a year. Well, the low interest rate makes out of your it pocket. easier to service too, and that's part of the argument, right? Right. So really, all the government ever has to do. They don't necessarily have to pay it off. If you if your economy grows sufficient to make it smaller in relation to that, and you know you got it also helps rates, when there's, there's such a, demand for U.S. debt as there is. That's that's yeah. true as well. And I think I think that's a result of you know differences in in economies and uh, monetary policy across you know developed economies. But so guys, we were kind of building this off of a question we had from uh, our good friend Bill Murray, uh, who writes in once in a while via email, uh, says uh, some people are frightened by the federal debt. Others say it's nothing to worry about as long as the growth in GDP keeps up with the growth of the debt. Uh, and that's kind of where we left off talking yeah, about. Yeah. Yeah. So, you well, know, what if GDP doesn't right. yeah, continue so to grow? There's sort of you know, three main topics here. First, if you're talking solvency, yeah, it's a it's a great point. Right now, the deficit is over 5%. Nominal GDP normalizes probably 5%. So, yeah, as long as you can track there, you don't really have to worry about being able to right. service the debt. But yeah. at the point where the interest payments are higher than the deficit, that's when you get into a debt trap, really, where it's sort of you know, irreversible without, you know, exceptional growth or inflation. Right. And and the thing is, I mean, you talk about growth, uh, the debt, as you mentioned earlier, Jacob, uh, you know, you said that uh, basically what we've done with our debt is we, we fill gaps when you have uh, when you have slow growth or negative growth in recessions. 
um, we've seen debt rise. That's usually when it happens. Uh, and, and basically what we do is try to fill the gap, but it seems to never get paid back. I mean, we were, right. we were out of our previous recession. Ten years out. Ten plus. I mean, that was in 2007 and eight when we saw the debt spike so high. Here we are 12 years later. We've got a second recession now, and, and we're seeing debt spike almost as much, not quite, uh, again. And we never cured. I mean, we started to, right? Didn't we start a couple of Octobers ago uh, paying down the debt? We were going to. We were going to let uh, at least the Federal Reserve's balance sheet uh, normalize. But um, the growth, while it has been decent since 2007 and 2008, uh, was still not sufficient to pay down the debt. And we've got politicians that are all too willing to give away money to various causes and not really worry so much about it. So basically the two sides are, as, as Bill laid them out, you know, some people don't worry about it and some are worried sick. The thing you got to worry, you got to understand is this is not an entity that's got a lifespan like ours so you know at the end of the game there's not somebody that's going to force you to pay this debt off and move on you assume the u.s goes on forever we know nothing's forever but you know it's we've, we've been around a long time at this point um and uh you know so the debt doesn't necessarily have to be totally paid off at some point in the future what would be good and by the way we've mentioned this before at least i have on the air the state of Georgia has a balanced budget amendment. We got, you know, years ago where if we don't have enough revenue to cover it, the state of Georgia can't spend. And, oh, by the way, when you look at the ratings, the debt rating in Georgia is what, Nick? Triple A. Triple A, one of seven or eight states in yeah. the United States that is triple A rated. And I really attribute all of that to the fact that, uh, the state of Georgia can't force its debt higher. Now, what do you do when you can't force your debt higher? Well, you can't theoretically grow as quickly. But again, you know, Jacob, back to your point, it, there is risk to growing by just expanding the debt. Uh, yeah, I think, and it can't happen forever either. It's not long-term sustainable. I think, yeah, I think there's a broad argument, maybe not clear causality, but those nations that have you know, aging demographics right. and are more developed and really, uh, you know, embrace debt-fueled growth do struggle. I mean, if you look at Japan, you know, the past decade and a half, the economy really hasn't grown. Their debt-to-GDP is 240%. Right. Um, and they got to there over the course of, you know, the past decade and a half. So I think uh, my perspective is, uh, you know, Financing fiscal deficits and expanding the debt is fantastic if it's put forth to pr increasing productive capacity. Right. I feel like the recent experience has has not necessarily done so um, because most of the massive deficits that we have run have been to, you know, bail out yeah. corporations and banks. We're, we're filling potholes with it. Yeah, basically. That aren't you know? You look at the. I mean. Probably the most egregious example, which I don't know what should be the solution, um, but you look at you know the airline industry that basically over the past decade bought back some 80 billion in stock, right? And it just so happened that was the amount that they needed. Right. <laughs> How about uh, that? So it's sort of were those stock buybacks increasing GDP? Is the money that we just gave them increasing growth in the future? So I, I think that's a concern, and then. 
sort of the risk is if you do pivot that to, uh, you know, a little bit less of a trickle down perspective and more direct growth uh, payments to consumers and small businesses or, you know, uh, allowing, you know, fiscal expansion in those areas. Sure. Then you do risk higher inflation. And the reason which we haven't seen yet. The the reason being that that debt is actually put into, you know, you got real currency floating around. There's more currency uh, than you should have. Yeah. And if the, the Fed can actually manage the money supply to some degree, but we got news this week that uh, they weren't going to be so concerned with inflation. So is that a concern to us? I would say it, what they're doing is using a longer term uh, average for inflation Instead of looking, you know, they still have the 2% target, but they want that 2% target over a longer period of time. Yeah, and I think that's happening at a time where it feels like the politics of the country are shifting slightly to a, perhaps a more, you know, uh, s- progressive socialist right. uh, um, call it angle. Socialism. It's so okay, yeah, it's the Fed giving room for that, for more expan- fiscal expansion. Um which I, I I think that's that's when it would get slightly concerning the debt because right. if you do have inflation rising, well, what's going to happen to rates? And it's, it's easy to service the debt right now when right. rates are at all-time lows. But if you do get you know uh, uh, sort of inflation feeding on itself, a la the the 70s and 80s where right. we were running deficits at the same time, you got rampant inflation. And if you look at financial assets. Over that period, well, you got destroyed owning bonds because rates were rising rapidly, and you got destroyed owning stocks because basically the discount Cost rate capital on, is so high. Yeah. Well, and what did we wind up with in uh, 1980, 81? Uh, Paul Volcker killed inflation, but how did he do it? Uh, we've got an overnight lending rate right now, 0 to 0.25 in a range, right? Uh, what was it in 1980, 81? Didn't we hit over 19%? Yeah. Yeah, he, unbelievable. He yanked uh, back on the inflation reins pretty hard. Yeah, and it worked. I mean, it, it definitely works. A lot of folks would say that he's he killed it for the next 40 years, has he not? I mean, we haven't had significant inflation yeah. since then. Um, but I really do think policy is part of it. And uh, oh, by the way, what are the interest rates in Japan these days? And what have they been for the Negative. longest time? Yeah. Can you call it a rate if it's uh, not a number? Yeah. Well, it's been really low, and it's been yeah. really low for a long time. So uh, yeah. the, the low interest rates and high national debt do tend to go hand in hand uh, if you're going to yeah. allow the system to work. So uh, I think, know, yeah, I think to sort of round it all into form here to really finally answer the question, I think our two main concerns would be, as you increase leverage, as you pull more growth forward, growth into the future is going to be lower. Right. And then there's also the risk to inflation, uh, which if rates do move higher, then you get in this debt trap where you're going to have yeah. and, <laughs> rapidly and rising inflation. Exactly. And and if you have higher interest rates, um, you know, it, it's it's harder to justify uh, bigger valuations in, in financial assets. Yeah, or, it would affect your portfolio. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So uh, there are concerns and rightly so. All right, well, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we'll answer some more financial questions. You're listening to Money Talks.
All material presented is from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decision and is not intended to replace the advice of qualified professionals, such as tax consultants, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in the Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.